and welcome to COS Live. You can watch the original video broadcast live on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern. Visit conventionofstates.com slash pod to learn more. And now, here's COS Live. Hello, COS supporters. Welcome to another edition of COS Live. My name is Andrew Lush. I will be your host, and I'm joined by my co-host, Rita Peters, who is also the senior Senior President for Senior Vice President for Legislative Affairs, Rita. It is great to be with you as always. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Andrew, and I am particularly excited about today's program, which I'm going to let you reveal. I don't want to steal your thunder, but <laughs> before you do that, I want to remind everybody watching out there. Let us know where you're from and what your state is, why you're a supporter of COS. It's always nice for Andrew and I to know who's watching the program, where you're from. So don't leave us lonely. Give us a little comment or a post. Yes, please do. And, and let us know what's your favorite thing about Convention of States? What, what are you doing in the fight for liberty? We'd love to hear how you're staying engaged in your community. And please, while you're at it, make sure that you're sharing this this live, share it with all your friends and family. That's how we grow the show. And of course, that's how we bring more awareness to this amazing idea that the Founding Fathers gave to us. Well, Rita, as you said, we have a big announcement today. We're going to be talking about something huge. It's coming up over the summer. We're, we're gonna talk with COS co-founder, Michael Ferris, in just a little bit. He's gonna give us a reaction and he's gonna talk to us about how this big event could be the thing that's gonna push us over the hill with Convention of States and getting to the requisite number of states that we need, 34 to call the very first Article 5 convention. Stick until the end because we do have our COS live mailbag. We're going to be answering your questions and we're going to be talking about your comments, so we'll get to that at the end. We have also our latest edition of COS Now to keep you update, up to date with everything Convention of States. So before we go to our interview, Rita, let's look at some history being made with this latest edition of COS Now. Last week, Mark Levin was all guns blazing for Convention of States on both his radio and television programs. It all started when last Tuesday he announced he'd be keeping a list of members of Congress regarding where they stand on Convention of States. But the reason why I support Convention of States, because I'm convinced that the only way to fundamentally alter the trajectory of this country is not watching TV and listening to the politicians or reading columns. It's by taking the power out of Washington. On the following edition of the Mark Levin radio show, he interviewed Convention of States President Mark Meckler to talk about the only constitutional solution that's as big as the D.C. problem. And also, Mark, I think you and I are having a discussion here that's super unusual in the media, which is what's the solution? We all know the problems, and so we can lament the problems, we can point out the problems, but what you're bringing up is a solution, and you don't hear much of that in the media. Then, on Sunday night, Levin's 18-minute monologue was all about the need for state legislatures to exercise their Article 5 power to restore fiscal sanity in D.C. While they're putzing around in Congress, oh, McCarthy could have done better, maybe. Oh, we should have done that. Oh, we should have done that. They're playing on a field that has almost no relevancy to where we're heading in this country. The system is broken. Congress broke it. The president broke it. They broke it under FDR. They've broken it ever since. We have courts involved. We have the bureaucracy involved. We have the IRS involved. We Enough. Convention of States, Article 5, state legislatures, it's time to step up. 20 of them have. We need 14 more. You want to fix the country? That's how we fix the country. Levin also reviewed a proposal from his book, The Liberty Amendments, that would be germane for consideration under the Convention of States Action Resolution, which Levin referenced has been passed in 20 states so far, with Kansas pending on a court decision. Earlier today, Convention of States Foundation made a big announcement in order to educate a new generation of state legislators and paint a vision of what this process will accomplish. COS Foundation will host a simulated Article 5 convention in historic Colonial Williamsburg. If the government ever becomes a tyranny, we're going to give you this gift. You get a chance to get together, get your commissioners together from all over the country and restrain that tyranny. But because it's never been done, we wanted to see it done. We want yeah. it to be tried out so people understand how does it work? What kind of rules are there? What will be an interplay between commissioners? You know, when you're going to do something this important, it's important to practice. Giving uh, knowledge, information, vision, and hope. Uh, hope that the federal government really can be curtailed and that this process really can work. 
And this is the real deal. I mean, this is kind of the precursor to the real Super Bowl. Delegates, commissioners from all 50 states. They're going to be able to go back home and talk to their fellow legislators and say, look, let me tell you exactly how it worked. I can tell you from firsthand. It can be done. It will be effective. So, so I think there are people who've never even heard of it that are going to see this and be impressed. And I think that builds enthusiasm. This is the defining moment and the last opportunity to get our republic right. We need a solution as big as the problem. And now you're up to date with Convention of States. All right, thank you, Producer G, for putting together that edition of COS Now. What an excellent montage. Rita, I gotta get your reaction to, to one of the two things, Mark Levin or the simulation. All right, well, I'm gonna leave the simulation for now because we're gonna talk more about it in just a few minutes. And I gotta talk about Mark Levin. I love that Mark Levin. <laughs> we all do, right? Yep. And, you know, I think maybe some people don't know, long before he was a talk show host, he was an attorney in the Reagan administration. Okay, this just isn't a, he's not just someone who talks on the radio. He is a real constitutional law expert. So I want to say that first. But the thing that he said that I love most of all, this is kind of like a theme for me, and it is don't just complain about what you see going on in this country. Stop, you know, posting about your outrage and talking to other people who already believe the same things you do. Stop talking in general and get active. Take action. Convention of States provides you with a meaningful, peaceful, proactive, and effective solution to the problems in our country today. Be part of the solution and take action with Convention of States. Get plugged in to your local state team and, and do it. Be part of the solution. I love it. He said it so well, and it's so important. How about you, Andrew? What was your um, favorite thing or what stood out to you today? So I want to follow up with what you said first. I, I love that you you told our audience about a call to action, what they can do, because Mark Levin said it. He said, it's time to step up. And I, I just love that, that language. Just step up, get involved. And we can complain about the authority, just like what you were saying, or we can become the authority. I'm, I'm pro becoming the authority instead of complaining about it. So, and I know that you watching right now, Reed, I know that you are pro becoming the authority and not just complaining throwing shoes at the TV does nothing getting involved does something so but you know what really stood out for me was that video my heart was racing watching the simulated convention recap from 2016 I've never participated I didn't participate in the 2016 simulation didn't get to see it so I'm so excited to see what happens in August so just that whole video had my heart racing and I'm just so uh, I'm so excited to see what happens in August so uh, with that, though, let's talk more about the simulation because we do have a very special guest joining us. Well, we have the pleasure of bringing Michael Ferris onto the program today. As the outgoing president of the Alliance for Defending Freedom, he has been a leader in securing about a dozen Supreme Court victories, including the Dobbs case overturning Roe v. Wade. He has been a longtime constitutional law professor, a leader in legalizing homeschooling in all 50 states, the founder of both Patrick Henry College and the Homeschool Legal Defense Association. He is the co-founder and senior advisor for Convention of States. Thank you for joining us, Michael Ferris. It is a pleasure to have you back on the program. Thank you, Andrew. It's great to be with you. Mike, earlier today, we made the official public announcement that Convention of States Foundation will be hosting a simulated Article V convention. This will be the second one of its kind in American history. We are so excited to be doing this. Earlier in the program, we shared how Mark Levin has been championing Convention of States on his radio and TV programs in the past week. And as you know very well, it was Levin's book, The Liberty Amendments, that came out roughly the same time as when you and Mark Meckler launched Convention of States back in 2013. Truly providential timing. Levin's book paints a vision of what's possible using the Article 5 convention process. But what a simulated Convention of States does 
is actually take the book version and turn it into a movie of sorts where we can actually see how the process will play out. And this upcoming event is sort of a sequel or a reboot of what was done with our first simulation back in 2016. That original event was basically perfect, in my opinion, way beyond our expectations. So the question is, why mess with perfection? What were your thoughts when you heard that there would be another simulated Article 5 convention? Well, I was very happy, not the least uh, reason being, oh, good, I got to go back to uh, Williamsburg, which is always fun to be in that historic spot and to uh, see and make history all in the same place. Uh, and so uh, there are... Um, you know, a lot of ground has been covered in the intervening, uh, I guess it's seven years since we had the last one. Yeah. And, and so, um, you know, I, I think some new issues will be um, to the forefront to, to some degree. I hope that, uh, for example, the issue of uh, making sure that all treaties go to the U.S. Senate for ratification. Um, uh, and there's a bypass that the Supreme Court has allowed for that. Uh, which is being used in 95% of the treaties now do not go to the Senate for ratification. They're simply signed by the president or, or some executive official. And that's a horrible abuse of power. And with Biden seeking to do this for the WHO treaty, I think and hope that this might be one of the uh, topics that the commissioners take up. And uh, there are others that, that are new. But it's, it's frankly bringing a new generation of state leaders to the table. There's, there will be some people that were back, but uh, seven years is a long time in, in state legislative life. And so there's a lot of leadership changes. Uh, uh, some people have retired, new people are on, and having a fresh energy that comes out of this and taking that energy back to the states to help us get toward the real thing. And also, I think it helps people to, um, you know, if we have a, a, a um, we're going to have a, a real convention. The question is, is it going to be in the next two years or the next 10 years? But uh, there will be at least some people who are at these simulated conventions who are likely to end up as real delegates. Um, and um, I, I think that that's, you know, having some people who've had that this experience is good. I mean, it's, it's actually, you know, kind of like you've practiced. You haven't actually done the real thing, but you've, you've been to practice. And so I, if I have two baseball players I'm going to coach, I'd, I'll take the one that's been to practice a few times. Mm -hmm. Mike, getting commissioners, it's not the easiest thing because it requires a lot of coordination. We're getting commissioners from all 50 states. Uh, I wasn't around for the first simulation back in 2016, but as a regional director, I've been helping to secure or to invite commissioners uh, to the upcoming simulation. So I would like for you just for a second to take us back, take me and the viewers back to 2016 and just tell us what that impression, what the simulation, what impression the simulation left upon you. Because this is essentially your brainchild. You had this dream of having an Article 5 convention and it you know, somewhat came to, not fruition totally, but the simulation came to fruition. What was it like to see all you know, 50 states represented at the simulated convention in 2016 and watching commissioners debate amendments that you crafted. And, and this is, you know, something that you and several others came up with. What was that like? Well, it's, it's gratifying uh, in a very deep level um, because I believe in these ideas. I mean, sure, there's, there's a personal level of gratification, but uh, if, if I'm about it, yeah, doing what I do because of personal things, I, I, I should have given this up a long time ago. Um, it, but it's, it's, I just get uh, um, encouraged by seeing the truth win out. And these are steps along the way of truth winning out. And the, and the truth, the central truth that we're talking about in this setting is the truth that the states can fix the problem of a runaway federal government. That's the truth that needs to get out. And I believe in that truth. I've promoted that truth. And when I see that truth advan advancing, I get excited. Um, and so, um, you know, there, there is gratification to see 
people are actually talking about an idea that I frankly launched on my Facebook page. Um, and, uh, um, you know, a, a great woman saw me talking about this stuff, uh, alerted her husband, Tim Dunn, uh, to it and said, we ought to get together. And Tim is on Mark's board and Tim led me to Mark and Mark led me to co-found this and with Mark. And so, um, you know, it went from Facebook page to um, this level of, re well, it's, it's reality in that states all over the country have adopted it and are still continuing to debate. That's real. That's, you know, that's not, it's not a Facebook chat anymore. We, we've entered into the realm of not, here's what ought to be done, but here's what we're doing. So this is real. And uh, uh, I don't believe our country can survive for many more decades if we don't fix this fundamental problem. And that is the fundamental problem is unlimited power corrupts and will corrupt our nation from within and we will collapse as a nation and as a civilization if we don't fix this problem. And, and, the, and the reason is, is that government thinks it's God. And anybody that thinks that, uh, that they're God is gonna end up the loser in the long run. Uh, the Soviet Union thought that they could take the place of God. It didn't last. Um, and, and there's no civilization that will last if they get that question wrong. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, Mike, I think all of us would say in one sense, the first simulated convention that we did accomplished what it needed to do, what we wanted it to do. The commissioners from all over the country proved that this process will indeed work just as the Constitution's framers envisioned. But as you indicated, it's been seven years since that event took place, and there's a lot of turnover that's happened in the state legislatures, unlike Congress, I might say. Maybe it's time to spark the imaginations of a new generation of statesmen. What effect do you think this second simulated convention will have on the state legislators who actually participate in it? Well, I, I uh, hope and believe that it will give them courage and knowledge and effectiveness. Uh, that there's no more powerful thing uh, to say to somebody. I've tried this and it worked fine. When especially. Uh, when somebody is, um, you know, fear. Um, there's a lot of fear that got, uh, you know, they tried to scare people away from homeschooling. That's a movement I, I dealt with and still do, deal with in some level uh, now for 40 years. Um, and there are people, oh, you can't do this. You'll ruin your kid. Da, 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 da. A, a neighbor, a friend, a relative saying, well, no, we've been homeschooling for six years. It works greater. That the story of that that message, a personal message of success, uh, helps to settle a lot of fear. And so, uh, frankly, our biggest we have two oppositions. Well, actually, they're both fear. There, one is an irrational fear, and one is a rational fear. The irrational fear is that the convention will do something crazy. That's irrational. It's it's less likely that the convention will run away than it is for me to step outside of my door this afternoon and get hit by a meteor. Uh, that could happen. Uh, but as Mark Meckler says, I'm not looking up at the sky every time I walk out of a door. Um, and so it's, it's, uh, that's irrational. The other side, it's a rational fear. Those who believe in big government and want Washington, D.C. to go unchecked, they fear us too. But they fear us correctly because that's what, exactly what we aim to do. We aim to stop a runaway, drunk with power, spending. And it's, it's really unfair to drunken sailors because drunken sailors only spend their own money. Uh, so they, they don't spend like drunken sailors. They spend like drunken sailors with their rich uncle's credit card. Uh, uh, and, and so uh, it's it's you know, they have a good reason to be afraid of us because we are coming uh, to take away their method of operation where they try to create a coercive utopia and 
utopias are never as delivered. They deliver mediocrity and tyranny and never freedom and joy. Mm-hmm. Mike, I want to follow up with what you said about irrational fear, because it seems that those people who buy into the irrational fear, they will use or they will pull on myths like there's no rules and there's no way to know exactly what's going to happen in a convention. And I've heard things like, oh, it's op- it's like opening Pandora's box if you have a convention because you don't know what's going to happen. It's never been tried before. There's no rules. And, you know, the, the fear tactics and the, 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 uh, uh, the falsehoods go on and on. How do our detractors account for the fact that we did a simulated convention in 2016? And, and what else would you say to our detractors who say there are no rules and we have no idea what's going to happen? Because you know the, the rules have to come from somewhere. So where do the rules come from? Well, I, I, I don't know that that you know the, the people who are given into irrational fear will listen to um, what happens at the simulated convention. There's just good people that get distracted by them. It's the good people who get distracted by the, by the fear mongers that can be convinced by what happens at a convention. Um, but the, um, um, the answer is, is that there's a, there's a different assignment of jurisdiction for the different phases of the convention. The, the first phase is picking the topics for the convention. The second phase is writing the text for the convention. And the third phase is ratifying the convention. The first phase um, can't do the jobs of the second or the third phases and vice versa. Um, and so the, the topics are set by the state legislatures when they call the convention. If that was not true, we would have already had dozens of conventions because there's been way more than 38 states uh, adopt um, convention applications. There are 49 states that have adopted convention applications. The only one that's never done it is Hawaii. And, and so, um, which I think would be a really good reason to have the convention in Hawaii uh, for some reason. I'm, uh, preferably on the north shore of Oahu, around the <laughs> little town of Hukku. Um, that would be a really good spot as far as I'm concerned. But um, I'll, I'll actually, any, any place other than New York City, Washington, D.C., or Los Angeles, I'm fine. You know, <laughs> I don't think it'll end up in Hukku. Uh, but um, but it, it, um, the, the delegates don't pick this topic. The legislatures pick the topic. The delegates write the language. And so the idea that the delegates can open up the convention to anything, they say, well, conventions can do anything they want. I go, no, they can't. Can the Republican National Convention write laws for France? Well, no, they can't do that. Can the Republican National Convention nominate the Democratic nominee for president? Well, if we could, they should, you know, uh, you know nominate whoever we want as our real nominee and then nominate me for the Democrat. <laughs> to be that, that would be a fun election. I, I would run as a Democrat under that, under that scenario. It would be hilarious. Um, but no, you, the call of the convention sets your parameters. You can't go outside the call any more than the Republican convention can pass laws for France. It just can't do it. They can't do anything they want. And so, you know, do, can they, you know, set a rule for how often a single delegate debates. Yes, they can do that. Can they set a rule on how many hours a day they're going to meet? Yes, they can do that. But they can't change two rules, and those are the most important two rules. They can't change what are the topics that we're lawfully allowed to consider, and they can't change the rule. You have to vote by states, one state, one vote. And so those are the two rules that that are in place. They're historically grounded. They're proven over time. And there is utterly no doubt that those are the two rules. And those two rules answer every one of the fear monger, irrational fears question. And, you know, then they say, well, we've never done it. Well, there are a lot of things that we've never done in our lives. We'd never reverse Roe versus Wade until we reversed. Uh, we didn't, we never legalized homeschooling until we, you know, in this gen, you know, in this century, until we did, and and so on, and so a lot of things happen that are first time. If that's our fear, we never get married, we never have kids, we never start a business. 
Well, we know a lot about uh, raising, you know, you can know a lot about these subjects and you can get help. And just because you've never done it before, uh, you know, I don't know how these people ever decided to get married. Uh, if, <laughs> if, if that's, if, if they're so fearful of life that, that I've never done this before is a sufficient excuse not to do it. Yeah, I'm sure glad I'm not one of those. That'd be a really sad, sad place to exist. Now, Mike, this simulated Article 5 convention will occur over a period of three days from August 2nd to the 4th. And really, the first day is primarily a travel day and just getting folks in. So it's really two working days to craft, debate, and vote on proposals including the committee work on the proposals. It is a truncated process. So share with us your thoughts on how is the simulation like the real thing and how is it dissimilar? Well, time is the biggest reason it's dissimilar. Um, um, it, the, the simulation will have every major component of the convention. We elect officers, will assign their committees will be uh created um there will be rules for, uh, for uh the committee structure i mean like how how many uh people come from each state for the committees i think they'll end up doing what we do here and that is um you know committee assignments will go by states and so you know you don't have everybody from one state on one committee and you know you split it up you have have state representation on all the committees. Uh, and so, um, but there'll be a lot more study, a lot more hearings, a lot more uh, drafting. Uh, and then there will be debates on, on the final uh, process. If I, if I had to guess, um, I would think that the, the, the real convention would last probably four months. Um, and I, I think the, the, the right thing to do would be to take approximately two months to do, have the committees do their work. And uh, first of all, you know, you, you, would, you would bring it up in this way. You you'd decide what are the topics we want to seriously pursue. Because um, like for uh, term limits, for example. Do we want to do term limits on judges? Do we want to do term limits on high-level bureaucrats like Dr. Fauci or just, just him? Well, you know, we could do a, a constitutional limit on Dr. Fauci. I think that one would get ratified really quickly. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, um, uh, um, but you know, do, do we want to do it on, on members of Congress as well? And, and so, so you, you, could, you, would, you would make a decision about um, – let, let, we'll use term limits of Congress as an example. So they say, okay, we're going to do one for term limits of Congress. And then the second phase would be to decide, okay, what do we want the formula to look like? Um, you know, you can, you can serve no more than 18 years altogether in any branch of Congress and no more than 12 years in any one house, something like that. I mean, you know, I, 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 these are just all hypothetical examples. And so, uh, once you once there'd be voting on the concepts, then you reduce those concepts to writing and then you debate the final language. So that would be the basic flow of the work. And when it comes out of committee, then you go, you bring it to the floor. And it, this has to be done on an open rule, which means that people are going to be able to debate the language on the floor. And so they can say, no, we don't think it should be 18. We think it should be 14. Uh, no more than 14 years. Okay, you'll debate it, and and then that will change the other. So those there will be real debates at all stages, and whatever gets 26 states to vote for it, that will go then out to the state legislatures for ratification. So so it won't be adopted by that, but it'll be a a, a deliberate process. And the best thing about this, the best thing, well, second best besides amending the constitution, the second best thing about this is America will be watching. Uh, I remember the Ollie North hearings because until there were uh, congressional hearings about Ollie North, American public was kind of divided about him. They didn't know what to think of this guy and because he was being filtered by the media. 
But then there was a, a congressional hearing and they got about six hours of unfiltered Ollie North uh, where the TV networks couldn't keep him off the screens and let him speak for himself. And America loved the guy. And the first day before they heard from, their, from the public, the members of Congress that were uh, interviewing and cross-examining Ollie North, were, they, they, they were mean to him uh, and rude. The second day, they changed their tune dramatically because they heard from their constituents. They like this guy. They don't like him, them belittling him. And so that's what's going to happen here, is that, that for the first time in our lives and probably ever, the whole country is going to watch serious debates on why it's important to limit the power of the federal government. And that will be a civics education beyond compare. And, and so um, I think that, you know, getting America will move in our direction as a result of this. Now, will everybody agree? No, of course not. But there, um, there's about a probably a third of the country that are principled, consistent conservatives on a regular basis. And there's a, a little bit less than that. I would say probably uh, 25% that are progressives. And they're not, you know, they're, they're going to be opposed to us no matter what. And then you've got whatever percentage is left over, round it and call it 40%, something like that. That's in the middle. And they're up for grabs and their views are malleable. I think we're going to get a good chunk of those people in the middle who will move in our direction. And that will result in the ratification process that, uh, going much better than people anticipate because America will have seen the debates. They will know the issues. They won't be in a vacuum. They will know why is this important to, to stop runaway federal spending? Why is it important that the Senate ratify all treaties? Why is it important that Congress makes the law and not let the bureaucracies? People will hear the issues and know the issues. And, the, and we can uh, realize that um, you know, people these days don't know how to you know, uh, get around the if they like the, the ends, that they, they don't care about the means. For example, student loan forgiveness. People make their decision about that on whether or not they want their own student loan forgiven yeah. or their kids' student loan forgiven. They don't care that it was done by a dictatorial act. Uh, and so, of course, that happens if it's a di dictatorial act on student loans. Well, the next time a president wants to do something in a dictatorial act and make a rule those people don't like, but other people do like, then they're going to um, you know, live to regret the fact that they opened up the power of piecemeal dictatorship, which is what Joe Biden has done. It's a piecemeal dictatorship because presidents can't make the law. Article 1, Section 1 of the Constitution says all legislative authority is vested in the Congress of the United States. But if we're going to pick one thing that's probably the most frequently violated, it would be that. There are 250 volumes of American laws. 50 volumes were passed by Congress. 200 volumes were passed by the bureaucracies. And, and so 80% so of our laws, if I'm, my math is right, um, I think that's close. 50 out of 250, that's one sixth. Okay. No, no, one tenth. But, but, Help, Rita. Help me with my math here. You're, don't ask me. <laughs> I went to law school because I wasn't good at math, Mike. <laughs> it's one out of it's. I was right the first time. Eighty percent. Um, okay, it's one out of five. Um, and and so um, eighty percent of the laws are not passed by Congress, even though Article One, Section One of the Constitution says all legislative authority mm -hmm. in Congress. And the reason that this is done so is because if we don't like the laws, we vote the rascals out who make the laws, which means 80% of the time we can't vote out the laws. We're ruled by dictate. And dictate is not the way you're supposed to operate in a republic. In fact, people get all confused about what a republic is. A republic is where the laws are made by elected legislative representatives. That is the very definition of being a republic. A democracy is where the, the, the technical, narrower version of it 
is where you make the laws by a direct vote of the people. Um, and at the federal level, it's supposed to all be a republic. And at the state level, it's a mix. It's mostly a republic with a bit of democracy mixed in because, for example, all state constitutions have to be ratified by a vote of the people. Um, and so, and there are some, you know, there are ballot initiatives easier to do in some states than in others. And those are all democracies in action. So, so the states are mostly Republican with a mixture of a little democracy thrown in. And you can't do either of those things when you're ruled by dictate. Right. And so we got to stop that. You said, Michael Ferris, or so you said, Mike, that uh, the American people will be watching the convention and the American people will also get the opportunity to watch the simulated convention because we're going to be live streaming that on August 4th. So for our viewers out there, uh, more details on how to live stream and when to do it and all that stuff, that'll be coming shortly. Another big announcement that we have, and this is something that's really cool, is we're going to be inviting all citizens into the into the process uh, for the simulation. And we're going to be doing this by allowing them to submit their own amendment ideas, which is something that's so cool. And I'm so excited that we're going to do this. And this is the first time we're announcing it to our viewers and to the grassroots. Uh, you know, but Rita, sometimes I think, well, maybe a person or people out there, they don't really know how they would submit an amendment idea. They don't know how to craft an amendment. This is something that's so foreign to them. But luckily we do have an Article 5 expert on this show today, Michael Ferris, who is going to uh, be take part in a webinar hosted on uh, June 22nd to go over how to craft an amendment idea. And this is something I think that's so unique and so cool for our grassroots because they'll get to learn from you, someone that's, who's spent years studying this, they'll get to learn how to craft their own amendment idea and then submit it. So for our viewers, you have to register for this training. It's gonna be uh, on June 22nd. And you'll have to register by going to www.conventionofstates.com forward slash amend to register. And then Rita, she's going to be the one who will organize and uh, collect all of those submissions that then can be sent to commissioners at the simulated convention. Super cool. I'm, I'm so happy that we're doing something like that. Uh, Mike, I want to touch on, on amendment ideas because this is something that I think a lot of people uh, they think about like what amendment ideas will come out and you touched on it a little bit throughout the show, but 2016 to 2023, seven years, a lot of, a lot has changed between that, that time frame between 2016 and 2023. And so I suspect that there's going to be a lot of amendment ideas that are going to be debated in this upcoming simulation that weren't debated in 2016. Do you think that's a possibility? And do you foresee a specific amendment kind of, leading the pack in, in debate? Well, one that I have been uh, talking about and hearing a lot of positive feedback is a single subject rule, which means that Congress must limit their legislation to a single subject of each time. So there's no more 4,000, 7,000, 10,000 page omnibus bills that get dropped that do all kinds of things like spend $1.7 trillion and change the rules on how you count the electoral college votes, you know, and a bunch of other stuff. I mean, it would be at least a hundred bills if you had a single subject rule. 41 states and six countries have sing, uh, single subject rules. It's a, it's a way to make government more transparent and smaller because if you can't throw all this junk in together, has to pay its own way and go on its own, you know, vote up or down on this, a lot of it's going to go down and it won't get floor time. And so one really good and simple thing that we can do to curtail the abuse of power by the federal government is to adopt a single subject rule. And it's really uh, pretty easy to write. And uh, um, that would be one that I would think would come out. I, um, I think that there, there will be um, uh, there's a possibility, you know, my, my two favorite subjects really are interrelated, and that is uh, the General Welfare Clause and the Commerce Clause. Because, you know, as I've been thinking about it, you know, people say, well, they don't obey the, the Constitution. Really, it's, it's, it's four things that they don't obey. Um, the General Welfare Clause, uh, the Commerce Clause, the Congress can, can uh, make... Um, it has to make all the laws clause 
and actually it's just those three. If you take those three things, the vast majority of the federal government doesn't follow the Constitution. Boils down to those three things, and 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 so it would be uh, a big a big thing to try to fix all three of those things in one fell swoop. And so we might see people trying to break those up. For example, say no more federal laws on education. That would fix one component of the general welfare clause because that's how they do it. They use the general welfare clause to pass federal funding for education and then tie um, um, grant permissions to following federal standards on education. And so you know, they, they buy their way into regulatory agency through the general welfare clause. So in the commerce clause is regulate businesses. And maybe there aren't enough interest in regulating all businesses, but maybe we can decide that you know, farming is so different across the country that we're no longer going to regulate agriculture through the Commerce Clause, state by state. Every state has laws on agriculture. And you know, farming in Louisiana is a lot different than farming in Arizona. Uh, and, and, and we don't need federal regulations on this. And it's not, it, it's not even permissible. Uh, and so um, under the Constitution's uh, Commerce Clause. But, but we have to fix, oh, oh, I thought the fourth, the fourth is the treaty. If we fix the treaty, the, the uh, Congress can't pass laws or must pass laws and the bureaucracy can't and fix the Commerce Clause and General Welfare Clause, that is, that is what people mean when they say they're not obeying the Constitution. It's for those four things that are almost always the, the, the case. Uh, and so let's get about fixing those four things. And Mike, I always like to clarify, you know, when we talk about the, the federal government not obeying the Constitution, I say what they do is lawyer around it. They capitalize on creative interpretations of the language in order to get away with doing what they want to do. But they wouldn't do that. They wouldn't be able to do that with amendments that are worded in modern language very specifically. And we've seen that with all of the, you know, modern amendments to the U.S. Constitution that they are absolutely obeyed because there's no wiggle room, no room for loopholes. Yeah. Um, and you can comment on that if you want, but you have been- can I do a card trick? Is there a way for me to do a card trick on this, on this thing? Uh, <laughs> because I do a card trick in my con when I teach constitutional law that proves exactly your point. Um, and I'll, I'll just summarize the card trick because I don't know how to move the camera to let me do the card trick online. And, and uh, uh, I, I start with 21 cards. I have somebody pick a card and then I, 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 I lay the cards out in three piles three different times in a row. And because of math, at the end of doing that, I know that the 11th card in the stack is the right card. It's just math. And so knowing what the card is, I lay the cards out in four packs of four and throw the other five away. And I pay attention when I lay down the 11th card. I know that's the card. So if it's the four clubs, let's say. I, I, I then have people say... These two piles are A, these two piles are B. Pick two. You know, they say A. So if I want to leave A, I leave A. If I want to keep A, I keep A. They think that they're they're making a choice here. They think I'm following the rule of law, but I'm doing exactly what I want to do. Uh, and so if they say A and I want to remove it, I remove it. And then I, I have two piles of four, A or B. They pick B and I, I take whichever one I want. They think I'm following their direction. I'm not. I'm doing what I want to do. Then I take it down to two. Then I take it down two piles of two and then two different cards. And lo and behold, I've picked their card every single time because I'm doing what I want to do. I'm not following a rule of law. It looks like I'm following a rule of law, but I'm not. I'm doing exactly what I want to do. And that's the way that lawmaking and a lot of judicial uh, uh, lawmaking goes on on both the legislative and the judicial level. And it's it's a card trick. It's you yeah. do what you want to do and you pretend like you're following the rule of law. Uh, and and we got to hold them to it and not let them get away with these card tricks. And, and, and sometimes we have to change. When the card trick has been solidified 
in a Supreme Court decision, the best way to fix it is to write a constitutional amendment to stop that. Like the 11th Amendment fixed a, a Supreme Court decision. The 13th Amendment banned slavery, fixed a, a Supreme Court decision. And the 19th Amendment fixed a Supreme Court decision and others. Uh, and so um, we have a history of fixing constitutional interpretations by writing amendments that clarify what the what the country believed in all along. And that's what we want to do in these cases. Absolutely. Mike, you've been super generous with your time with us today. And before we let you go, I do have one more parting question. I know we all here wish that we were talking about the lead up to the real convention. The COS movement has come a long way since 2016, and it feels like we're reaching a critical mass. All of us at Convention of States, as well as millions of our supporters, believe that this is the one solution big enough to fix the structural damage that has been done to our system of governance. Can you give our viewers just a few parting words on your vision and belief in the Article 5 process? What will an Article 5 convention achieve that nothing else in American politics can achieve? We will see power in Washington, D.C. decrease. You know, how much it decreases, what exact areas yet to be determined. But it will be a world-changing, nation-shaping, history-shaping event to, to turn the tide and to actually decrease the power in Washington, D.C. Uh, the people who run for president and for Congress on conservative platforms, you know, even the best intentioned of them who consistently try to follow through every way and they don't get sucked in, a lot do get sucked in. They, they, they can't do it because they're trying to do it in a way that's not built for that. We're, the thing that's built for it is the states taking away power from the feds because the, the founders understood the sinful nature of man. And they said, one man will only always increase his power. You need another man deciding how much power the other guy has. That's why the states need to be deciding how much power the federal government has. That's the issue. And when you see that happen, it will be the shot heard around the world, you know, just like Lexington and Concord, because we, a new era is upon us where the states can decide how much power the federal government can have. And just doing that once will pay so many dividends uh, that A, the federal government will, you know, think twice about more increases in power. And secondly, it emboldens the states to keep at it until they narrow down and ratchet down the federal government in a way that's suitable to them. Thank you, Mike, for joining us today and for sharing all your wisdom with our audience. It's a pleasure having you. Can't wait to see you on June 22nd for the uh, How to Craft a Constitutional Amendment with, with you. Uh, so for our viewers, you go to www.conventionofstates.com forward slash amend to register for this event. Thank you very much, Mike. It's a pleasure. Uh, God bless you. Thank you so much. Well, Rita, it's time for our newest segment, the COS Live Mailbag. These are messages and questions from viewers just like you. So if you want to be featured in this, uh, in the COS Live mailbag, please drop comments and questions and we will read your messages. Rita, the first one's over to you. Yeah, this one comes from Randy Williams. He says, is there really any question that the federal government is dysfunctional, inept, extremely wasteful and inefficient? Of course not. Is there a better way to address it than Article 5? Seems unlikely. Thank the founders that it is available. Just the threat of a possible convention of states will force positive change. You're right on, Randy Williams. Thank you for your comment. What do you have for us, Andrew? Mm -hmm. I have one from Bill and Nancy McAnich. 
I admire the perseverance of all those who believe in this effort. I have been following COS for many years and cheering for our success. I love it. We, uh, we admire you as well. Thank you for dropping that comment. And we are going to be successful. We've already seen so much success. We're at 19 states. So we are more than halfway there to calling the very first Article 5 Convention of States. That's right. What else do we got, Rita? Yeah. Well, I have a note from Rochelle Caffey. She's responding to last week's episode. She says, God bless you all, Jared, Andrew, and Rita. We love you. What a great strategy. Speak to what is relevant with COS Solutions. Love it. The more personally we present the problem, the more we can present solutions with specificity. Rochelle, thank you for your comment. All right, this one comes from Jimmy McFarlane. When is this going to happen? That is a great question, Jimmy. It really depends on we the people. When are we going to make this happen? Because it's us at the local level reaching out to our legislators, building a relationship with them and asking them to support Convention of States. That's what's going to get this thing done. We the people, we can't depend on anyone in Washington, D.C. We can't depend on a president. We can't depend on uh, our, our, our representatives in Congress. We need to depend on ourselves and people within our communities. We have 5 million supporters, two million, over 2 million petition signers. We need to get this thing. Uh, we need to get this thing done by getting more people into our movement. I got one more. That's from Marsha Traub. What age does someone have to be to sign the petition? Would a high school student be able to sign, or do they need to be at least eighteen? Correct me if I'm wrong, Rita, but but I believe you can sign the petition if you're younger than eighteen. I, I think we put the petition out there for anyone to sign. You as a as a as a person who's under 18, you have just as much of a stake in this and you have just as much as a right to want to see the federal government reduce. And I believe in hearings, Rita, we have several uh, minors show up to testify in favor of our, of our Article 5 application because they are part of the next generation that's going to have to wrestle with the huge debt that the federal government is putting upon future generations. So I'm pretty sure you're good if you're under the age of 18. Yep. I would encourage everyone who's watching and supports what we're doing here to go to conventionofstates.com to sign and share that petition. We are coming up on 2.5 million signatures. Help us get there because that's a key part of our strategy. And those petitions do get sent to your state legislators who represent you and your district. And now, Andrew, it is time for us to sign off, but we'll see everyone again next Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition of COS Live. Now we've got a country to save, so let's get to work. This has been the podcast version of COS Live. Check out more content at conventionofstates.com slash pod. Thank you for listening.